So this is the Conscious Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Ruth Ferenga, founder of Mindful Pathway. I interview leaders who have a particularly strong philosophy that stands out from the crowd, so we can explore it and hear how it plays out practically day to day. For episode four, I welcome Tom Tapper. Tom is co-founder and CEO of cause-based marketing agency, Nice and Serious. What really stopped me in my tracks, besides that great company name, was hearing the innovative ways they share decision-making, a method they call the moral compass. I started by asking him how he got to where he is now. So I think my my journey probably started um, when I was at university. So I, I was studying um, environmental science at university because I was really passionate about climate change and the impact on society. And um, during my course, I was sort of really acutely aware that our lecturers were talking about some of the world's most important issues, but the way in which our lecturers were talking about it was sort of falling upon deaf ears. It it wasn't really engaging me or any of my friends around us. In in, in fact, it was often boring us. So um, (laughs) when we looked at the kind of world around us, the, the, the bits of culture that we consume, the creative design world, what we were being inspired by were were brands, were pieces of advertising, things like that. Mm. So meanwhile, arguably the world's most important information around climate change and big kind of societal environmental problems were just not really breaking through. Um, And and we kind of put that down to a lack of good storytelling, a lack of creativity. Um, so me and uh, a friend at the time, Ben, um, kind of saw um, this opportunity to create uh, an agency that would be able to produce creative work that would champion and amplify the causes that we believe in, um, as opposed to most commercial creative work, which is there to sell a product, which mm. normally furthers consumerism and creates a lot of the problems we see in the world today. So, so we kind of set about creating this agency that would make creative work the world needs that was how we kind of framed it so Mm. that was um 11 years ago and as with all kind of startups you sort of slightly fumble your way through uh, creating a business um you know we started focusing more in the world of film production because it was a kind of skill set that we'd picked up over the years making films about climate change and uh, various environmental challenges and sort of grew out our creative services from there over a period of like 10 years so developing an animation team a design team a digital team and um, then over the last few years becoming more of a full service creative agency so Mm. um, but yeah really it all stemmed from a passion for environmental issues and equally a passion in creativity and trying to bring those two together to create a business that would have an impact. Mm. I guess to so to simplify it, it's kind of a cause-based marketing work that you do so you're not just working for anyone, right? Yes, that's exactly it. it it's about providing creative skills, creative solutions to causes as opposed mm. to products. So that means we predominantly work for charities, but we also work for big international brands who are championing the causes that we believe in. Mm. And how easy is that? I mean, uh, I guess it isn't an easy world out there. It's quite competitive. How easy is it to focus on the cause work, you know, when you could pick up lots of stuff? Is that is that a great niche for you or is it challenging to kind of... Yeah, it's a, it, it's a real... It does create really unusual business challenges, and that, that's quite it, it, 
it is to be completely honest we make it really hard for ourselves to exist (laughs) yeah um because you know the creative industries especially in a big city like london are incredibly competitive there are thousands of agencies competing for a limited amount of work and generally the creative industries ideas are quite commoditized now people don't put the same value on it so it's incredibly competitive so you know by saying that we will only work on causes we're already shrinking our potential market by Mm. like 90 Okay, that that's cause-related marketing is becoming bigger, so that is slightly growing, but still fundamentally we operate in a very, very small market. And and historically, agencies normally work by picking up a few big kind of pillar clients where they will provide all creative services to a big brand, like a big drinks brand or whatever. Yeah, yeah. They'll do their big like ad campaigns, they'll do their post account, they'll, they'll do kind of everything for them and they'll have a big retained guaranteed piece of work. But because we're in the core space, we don't have that. So we're only ever working on project by project, which is, you know, incredibly hard to then pitch constantly for all those sorts of yeah. pieces of work. So. And why is that? Is that because you wouldn't better get out of bed in the morning if you were like... Um, working for kind of less meaningful projects is that what drove you to kind of stick by this um yeah it's kind of understanding like the real like dig a bit about what's going on yeah so i think so i've never had another job well i have when i was a kid (laughs) like washing up or, or working in a bar or something but i've never not been paid to work on stuff i believe in as a professional so I wouldn't know what the alternative is really so but when I was starting out it wasn't like they were there was an obvious company for me to go to there wasn't an obvious agency that existed that could do what I wanted to do Mm -hmm. which was make creative content at the time about important issues so in a way I kind of had to start it um, because that agency didn't exist at the time Um, and and since then I that's all I've ever done so yeah, it does sometimes, um, I would find it hard to imagine being as motivated as I am today, being as passionate about the projects I work on, if I felt those projects were having no impact, perhaps even having a negative contribution to society. So I don't think I could apply myself creatively to, I don't know, sell shoes yeah. or something like that, because I would just think, what am I adding to yeah, the world? Yeah. It, it feels like a kind of waste of time and energy. I don't feel like the need, the world needs more shoes right now, right? Do, do, do you know what I mean? I just feel like I'd be propagating consumption. Um, so yeah, so it, it's all I've ever believed in. Yeah, I would really struggle now to go into a job where my day job wasn't fundamentally contributing to something positive. Yeah, and I guess before we go into you as a leader, do, do you think that the marketing world is reflecting on itself at the moment? Um, in terms of its purpose, in terms of what it's feeding, you know, you talk about climate change, we've got many sort of, I guess, societal challenges. Do you think others in your space are also going, hang on a minute, what I'm actually feeding here with working for these clients and working with business that doesn't pay tax or whatever it may be? Are there others that are maybe checking themselves or have you kind of grown up, like you said, with this as part of your blood, it sounds like, as part of what you've always done? So I think we're actually just literally in the last two months or so there's a real been a real turning point in the marketing and creative sort of industries um and that's been sort of championed by groups like purpose disruptors and also probably helped by the likes of extinction rebellion focusing their energy on the advertising industry because of its role to influence so i i think historically 
I feel like our industry has kind of washed its hands of its impact because I think if you look at us quite literally as an industry, our impact is quite simply office space and the impacts around where you get your energy from. Essentially, it's, it, it's tiny, you know. Um, you know God, I, I think I read somewhere that the average agency has the same carbon footprint as a primary school or something. It, it's tiny, but I think what that misses, in my eyes, is, is the kind of broader material impacts. Like agencies, since the Mad Men days have had a had a fundamental role in in selling lifestyles, in selling pro, like kind of products, in kind of accentuating systems of of overconsumption. Mm. And I think more, more stuff. Yeah, yeah, they've just flogged more stuff and made brands, made driving, made flying, made foreign holidays, all these sorts of things. They've made them aspirational, and therefore they've driven these patterns of consumption. And we've played a massive role in that. So I think now, I think agencies are not only saying, yeah, okay, we should source our office fruit ethically, basic stuff like that, but they're also saying, actually, should we be working with this brand? Should we be taking big contracts from oil companies or, or the tobacco industry if they're fundamentally kind of kind of damaging the world? I, I think, you know, it's really only now people are starting to ask those questions, which perhaps seem a little bit obvious, but, you know, I think when you start running a business, it's very easy to, to kind of lose sight of the, the real world impact. And instead you're just focusing on keeping an entity afloat. You know, yeah. you've got bills to pay, salaries to pay, you've got shareholders to please, you know, it just leads to just wanting to take more and more work on as opposed to saying, actually, is this work good for the planet? And it's, you know, it, I, I just think people are now just kind of waking up to that fact and saying, I don't want to be part of making the world worse. I want to be part of working with brands that are trying to make the world better. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, and I guess that takes a certain kind of leadership in a company as well to drive that kind of approach. I mean, what is? do you have a style of leadership or a way in which you lead that you are conscious of? Um, do you feel like you have an approach in your company? Um... I haven't I haven't read many business books so I don't I don't know <laughs> it might be like, a good thing yeah. <laughs> I don't know there might I, there might be terms for different types of yeah. uh, leader um, I guess yeah um, no jargon needed yeah, yeah, yeah I don't know um, I, I guess probably be one I mean the fundamental one is I guess leading by example as it's myself and Ben who are the owners of the company um I guess anything that we choose to do that has a direct impact on profit obviously directly impacts us. So anything I choose to do, like implement flexi time, like imp implement mindfulness training or anything like that, that obviously has a an immediate impact on, I guess, the profits I could potentially take. So, I, But I think it's about demonstrating to the team that you are putting your organization's purpose and your personal beliefs above simply profit. Mm. I think, no, I, I don't know anyone that would be inspired by me trying to make more money for myself. That's, yeah. that's, <laughs> yet somehow it drives most businesses. But um, yeah, I, I guess it's just one of just just putting my, um, my money where my mouth is in some respects, them seeing me taking decisions that are benefiting them, not just the company. Um, you know, but also, I mean, probably there's an element of vulnerability in um, my leadership style, as in I'll quite openly talk to the team about some of the financial challenges we might face, yeah. some of the tough decisions, um, you know, the fact that we have 
gambled in the past we've tried to expand we've tried to create new services some of the times it doesn't always work and having to backtrack on that without using bravado or trying to hide it somewhere we've right. always been quite so open, open with to that. failure and totally open stuff to it goes because wrong it's, it's so happens, when you're yeah. in a small office of like 25 like i mean it's pretty fucking obvious if you feel yeah. flat on your face like <laughs> client kind of hangs up on you yeah yeah you kind of <laughs> got to acknowledge that failure and call it out um yeah you know and, and also the fact that i'm you know relatively young for someone that's running a business and I haven't had an MBA. I don't really know some of the some of the basics that I probably should know, and I think that requires you to be honest about stuff if you've got it wrong or if you're a bit nervous because you've taken a gamble. You don't know if it's going to work out, and you want to encourage the team to rally together. Yeah, I think that yeah. does require showing some vulnerability. And you talked about finances and kind of the numbers and people aware of that. Like, are you transparent with like the kind of numbers and the way they come in the business? I mean, I see everything from businesses where they don't share anything to others where they're literally, the, the books are open. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I wondered what your approach was to things like that. Um, it's, it's, probably, it's probably somewhere in the middle, I think. Um, we are very open when the companies doing well and very open when it's not doing well um, we I think it's every quarter or so we'll give the team an update on the finances the kind of numbers the hard numbers in terms of profitability basically kind of open up the P&L in some respects um, so we're very honest about that and I, I think it's because as shareholders as owners we've never been greedy so there's nothing ever to hide right. about where money's I'm going squirreling off um, you know but I do, I do think there's also there's kind of a limit to that like there's not I don't think there's a need for to worry people too much because mm. ultimately the thing that brings people to a business is normally a specific skill set be it a designer be it an editor whatever a strategist an accounts person like you know I don't think that we we shouldn't burden them with all the financial kind of worries that we might have as business owners, yeah. and so I don't think it's about being overly transparent for transparency's sake, because transparency's sake, because I think that can perhaps create undue stress on people who don't have the ability to change that. I think it's about being open enough to help them understand why you're taking certain decisions, why you might not be investing in a staff party this year or doing something like that because mm. of numbers. But so yeah, we were kind of I would say in the middle. In the middle, yeah. Um, you know, and also, you know, certain things like being open about salaries for example salaries are an incredibly emotional thing yeah. and and I, I i'm not completely convinced that being totally transparent about that is a good thing because i don't necessarily think everyone's prepared to kind of or, or equipped to deal with that because mm. certain job roles command higher salaries even though you could question people are bringing different value to things so mm. it's i think certain things like that i i i I don't know if 100% transparency is a good thing in those businesses. Yeah, it's a good thing to think about, isn't it? Yeah. Sort yeah. of like how much do we share? And, and I like the way you kind of say that, you know, we don't necessarily want to burden staff. So it's, you know, you know, I guess you are responsible in a way. And so you mm. take care of them in that respect. And you mentioned decision making, which was kind of the reason this that I came to you with this interview um, was about um, how you make decisions on um on the work that comes in. So do you want to explain, explain that? Yeah, so... Um, so how we make decisions on the work that comes in so we um we've created a uh, an online application called the moral compass and the moral compass is all about democratizing decision making within a business so um how the moral compass works is that um 
we as a business establish kind of purpose statements, so statements that relate to why we exist as a business. And then every single brief that comes through the door, we vote on based on the extent to which that brief aligns with our purpose statements. And um, it's a completely anonymous process, so people will read up about the client and the brief, and they'll then be able to vote using a Likert scale, so the extent to which they uh, agree or disagree with the statements and then a very simple algorithm generates a percentage which shows me as a decision maker the percentage alignment of the team based on the brief so it basically is a anonymous and objective way to decide whether the briefs we work on align with our purpose and when the moral compass generates a score of 51% or above, we work on a brief. If it generates a score of 50% or below, we decline to work on it. Mm-hmm. So, so your staff are basically voting on whether you should pick up this work or not? Yes. So the staff um, have complete control over whether or not we yeah. work on projects or not. So. Um, and how did this idea come about? Was this, was this your idea? Was this come from the staff? Which is quite a lot. I mean, it's quite brave, I suppose to be like, you know, we could lose this job and I would have to deal with it because they voted. Yeah, so it's kind of, yeah, it, it's, a, it's an idea that came from the staff. So it's, okay. I mean, but it's, I think the, the how it came about, I think is, is so important because we built the tool um, in a slightly different um, kind of like way, but it was basically created five years ago. And it was a point when we were four or five years into the business at that point. And, Essentially, the way that we made decisions, the key decisions as an agency, who we work on and who we decide not to work with, was purely was done in a very traditional way. So it was a conversation between Ben and I, the two company directors, behind closed doors. Do we think this project's going to be right for us? It was as simple as that. Mm. And obviously, you know, given the nature of our business, we were considering the ethical implications. But I, I think really Ben and I were, we were kind of impacted in the same way that I think so many business owners are impacted because at that point in time the company was growing quite quickly, um, our overheads were growing and as a result we had more and more pressure to win more work, bring in more clients. So we saw every brief that came through the door, every, you know, whether it's we found the client or the client came to us, we saw everything as a great opportunity to help us cover our costs and to grow the business. Mm. So at that point in time, we were so focused on the day-to-day running, the day-to-day finances that we we kind of started to forget to ask those questions about really is this right for us? You know, does this brand genuinely want to have an impact, or is it just a bit of kind of window dressing to make them look yeah. good? And you know, and we didn't really have because we didn't really have anyone to answer to. We were just taking on work, any piece of work we could have. You know. And was something being lost on. in that process? Just taking it, any old piece of work? Do you think? I, I think I think it was like I mean, it was still you know everything was to do with sustainability and to, to do with causes, but we weren't scrutinising the briefs. So as a result, um, you know, we'd found ourselves working on projects that were a bit questionable with brands that arguably weren't really having to trying to have create an impact they were brands that were trying to use this to just make themselves look good and actually it took our team to start calling us out on it you know i think we were working with a big fizzy drinks brand on some 
project about bottled water in Africa or something like that. And it, it did have like a social purpose angle, but it just, it clearly wasn't thin. about, yeah, it's yeah. a bit thin and, you know, you yeah. could kind of smell it really. And yeah. then the team started calling us out on it. They were like, guys, you know, we've, we've come from perhaps bigger companies, bigger agencies. We've often taken a salary cut to work here. Yeah. You know, we don't want to be working with these big brands that don't, you know, that, that aren't really trying to create an impact. Yeah. So, you know, Ben and I had to do a little bit of kind of soul searching and think, well, okay, well, how do we try and get around this? So, you know, we, we literally just put the question back to the team on a weekend away. We were like, look, it's a kind of creative problem, this. You know, yeah. Ben and I created this agency because we want to make, you know, work that the world needs. Perhaps we're not at the, this point in time or some of those projects aren't. How do we solve it? And, you know, the, the sort of team as a collective, we came up with the idea that really... You know the you know the moral compass of an agency should be a you know the collective moral compass of everyone who works there that that's all the business is like yeah. you know we erect these edifices around the idea of like the limited company to kind of distance ourselves from the reality which all it is is a bunch of people with their own kind of value systems and stuff yeah. and and actually we need to create a device that allows people to express their own personal moral yeah. compass on everything that we work on so it was sort of felt like a very logical conclusion yeah. to the I guess it's a way you can apply had. you can combine company values with personal values to make yeah. a decision because that is a challenge I think for businesses to get you know to get the personal values linked so that they are shared mm. that is a challenge that people exactly. have and you know we hear it so often that people saying the same thing that they have to leave their values or they have to leave their ethics at the door the when door. they go to work and this idea that your, your professional self is different from your personal self in 2019 feels absolutely laughable yet I know of so many people that work in the city or work for big agencies yeah. and they, they just distance themselves. They might be a vegan at home, but they're kind of the creative director on KFC or some like, you know, <laughs> some brand that fundamentally yeah. they're opposed to. That must hurt, to. I guess, a bit somewhere. Yeah. I think it does. And I, it could be one of the many reasons why more people are unhappy at work or they're trying to leave their jobs and trying yeah. to find something that's more fulfilling is because they, they, they separate themselves at work under this notion of it's professionalism, get your head down, you know, yeah. you know, make, make money, you know, don't challenge the boss because there are all these layers created and this yeah. ivory tower surrounding the decision makers that you can't, yeah. you know, rightfully challenge. So I think, yeah, for me, the, the moral compass felt like a, I almost couldn't say no to it. <laughs> like I was like, well, Tom, you believe in these things. The only reason why we were making decisions, just the two of us, is because I, I, I guess when you set up a business, you, you just sort of copy the other businesses that you've seen around. Like, you know, th there isn't really a, a way of democratically making decisions in businesses. It's yeah. like the business directors make the decisions, right? That's yeah. how it works. I, I didn't know another alternative existed. And yeah. I think just taking a step back and you realize, well, why why are we doing it like that? Why don't we try and create something different? Like it's in our control. Um, and yeah. then you realize solutions like the moral compass, you can just create them and, and, and they're incredibly... I think empowering for the team. For the team. So, yeah. And you mentioned like you made this decision on a weekend, it was kind of collective. Do you apply that elsewhere in the business? I mean, I guess you could end up with this really complicated collective decision making when not really much gets done or mm. how do you balance the kind of involving people as much as possible with needing to move the business in forward quickly as a small mm. business? Like what do you have that approach elsewhere or? Yeah, no, it's really it's a really good point actually because I do think sometimes 
decisions by committee can be completely counterintuitive and you know for me the moral compass it's about inviting people to have a say but what i love about it is it creates a definitive result like it's a yes or no answer and therefore i can make a decision and act on that so it's the tool was made collectively and the way in which it works is all about collective input but the results are very objective and very definitive which allows me to make a decision quickly to say yes or no as opposed to like endlessly debating Mm. because that was the problem is you know prior if if people had questions previously they would they would debate it openly as a group or we you know just openly challenge me or something like that and we would have a debate but then it was like you know what do I do with that you've expressed your discontent but I'm still going to work on it you know and then it almost creates a tough dynamic whereas in creating a tool like the Moral Compass it, it People understand that while they may disagree with something, if the collective has voted to work on it and they were part of building the tool in the first place, then they've got to accept the verdict. That's part of, I guess, being in an open and democratic company is being able to do that. But, you know, there are some things like, you know, hiring, firing, you know, what areas do we expand into that are still taken by the leadership team, you know, signed off by me. And, you know, I, I do think there is a limit to democratic decision making at some point you've just got to you know get it go ahead and make a decision and it's on my shoulders if it goes wrong so you know at the moment the moral compass is purely deciding on the briefs that we work on so Mm. which as an agency is is the core of your business but you know how we structure the team you know where we get our fruit and veg from whatever they're all taken by the leadership just because it's a quick and efficient way to do things. Yeah, and it is interesting, that balance. Some of the best leaders I see out there seem to have this kind of collective mode that they operate in, and then there'll come a point where they have spent time gathering and listening and communicating, and then it'll be like, right, decision time, and we're not going back, or whatever. And it's almost like a shift of gear, Um, but it's interesting you have this technology behind it, which, like you said, creates the kind of fairness Mm. there. So... When you look forward for for nice and serious and and you as an individual, where do you see like the company going, your leadership going? Do you have like a vision um, about where things are, are heading? You know. Um, yeah, I mean, I've never, as much as you want to share. No, no, sure, yeah. sure, no. It's, I, I mean, yeah, we've 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 got some you know pretty ambitious um, plans to grow the business. To you know, we're you know roughly looking to double the size of the business in the next sort of three three and a half years or so and the senior leadership and the whole team are kind of behind that um but you know i always think what's what what i find really hard with like predicting visions is Mm -hmm. that and i've talked very openly to the team about this is like i feel like when you set up a business because of just a very clear belief in your mind that it's about providing creative solutions or creative ideas to the world's most important problems for me that kind of sets your compass and then you go with what the market allows you to if that makes sense so i I feel like in a way i've sort of set the compass set the rudder whatever you want to call it down and it's led us in that direction so but never at any point have we really said oh in four years time we're gonna be x y and z and we're gonna do it so a lot of the you know the decisions that are presented to us we, we judge based on will it help fulfill our purpose mm. but I sometimes think in just like gambling and say hey we're gonna you know I don't know be in 10 offices around the world in three years I, I almost <laughs> there's, there's for me that feels a bit disingenuous because you are literally guessing for me it's about you decide your purpose you 
you decide how you make decisions and then when opportunities present themselves and you can then act on them very quickly based on your purpose. So it sounds um, quite agile, quite organic. Yeah, if, if that is a yeah. thing. But, but I mean, you know, in terms of, I'm, I'm just trying to give you a bit more than that. So I, I, we do like, so I, I think the vision and where we want to be is much more in the, and I don't know what this, ha- what this looks like as a business, but it's very much in like, if we can attract the world's best creative talent to our agency, and that talent will only work on high impact briefs, then that for me is an amazing vision to achieve. Because mm. if at the moment, the world's best creative talent will work for the highest bidder. So basically, some of the biggest companies in the world that aren't particularly progressive are able to attract the best creative talent and therefore are making the best ads, which are therefore driving sales very quickly. Whereas if the world's best creative talent is only supporting charities and impact-led brands and things like that, then that will expedite a transition to a more sustainable world. So. Mm. That's the kind of vision is in doing more and better and bigger work, we'll be able to attract better talent and therefore attract the kind of best sort of clients or selectively choose the clients, which would help accelerate a transition to a kind of more sustainable world. So, yeah, that does that make any sense? Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. So really kind of growing the company in a way that is more and more aligned to this purpose around sustainability and and conscious leadership um, in a way that attracts the best people to deliver it and then that makes the products and the material that you're producing of the highest quality so that it stands out more and yes and then it almost creates a a virtuous circle is is kind of what we want to do basically so yeah yeah, and that attracts better work and will produce better work and it kind of goes in a circle like that so that's that's really where i'd love to get to yeah what the implications for our team structure for the size where we'll be based yeah don't really know. So I mean, how do you? And you, I mean, you don't have to explain everything, but this talent that you're trying to retain, besides this kind of nice collective decision making thing you have got going um, for certain aspects of the business, how, how else do you retain these people right. and attract them? You know, what what goes on? Yeah, so it's uh, it's a really good question because you know an agency literally lives and dies by the talent it has, like, and you know, and and creatives are, are people that want constant change and stimulation, and you know, and you know they're constantly wanting to improve and make the best work and get the best clients. So it's really hard trying to attain, like, retain really good people. And but I think I think we do it through a number of ways in terms of attracting talent. I think we always try and make sure that we're quite visible on a lot of the platforms that the creatives are looking at. So in the creative industries, it's things like It's Nice That, Design Week, Creative Review. So we'll always make sure that we're producing really great work and making sure that it's featured on those platforms. Um, Because, you know, I I think you've got to remember that a lot of the creatives, they're not going on to like really niche sites about social impact and sustainability. They're looking at the same press that all the design industry looks at so we've got to make sure that our work is good enough to be considered um kind of like an entry for any of those kind of kind of uh news websites or or kind of uh, awards platforms things like that so that helps us get noticed as well as that pushing out lots of our ideas on on our view for the world and our culture that we've kind of created here so that definitely makes it more attractive the fact that people know that we offer flexible working we're very good at trying to stick to people's hours we we very rarely kind of 
uh, allow our team to work weekends and things like that, which in agency land is very common to, to work late until nights, things like that. Mm. So, mm. of course, occasionally it happens. But um, so we're very good in terms of, um, you know, allowing people to have that work-life balance. Um, but there's also, I mean, I probably should have checked with Duncan RMD, but there's loads of stuff to give to the team. So things like free healthcare, free access to mindfulness apps, loads of stuff around mindfulness that's championed by Duncan and Philippa. Um, and and just things like free fruit, things like that, basic stuff. But we just try and create, I'd say, yeah, there's all the kind of like thing that the list of things that we do as a, as yeah. a business and stuff like that. But I would say more importantly in our industry, it's more the atmosphere that we try and create here. So we're, you know, one of our values is always is always together. And, you know, the, the, our industry is incredibly egotistical it's it's driven by normally very arrogant men who all want to win awards and go to Cannes and you know do loads of coke <laughs> and stuff like that and 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 basically you know that's not you it's not no, <laughs> and, and it's not and it's not encouraged to allow people to express their ideas mm. to to challenge to you know to be themselves in the work environment and what we've tried to create is an environment where people can be themselves um bring their full self to work um, you know, if they're having a really tough time in their personal life, we'll try and be very supportive of that. Um, you know, it, it, I guess it's just just not being a dick. I mean, God, it's not, <laughs> it's it's not rocket science. Yeah, yeah, it's just like, you know, just, I think our industry is pretty toxic, to be honest. And it's just trying to create a place where it's not highly competitive and very individual, but rather seeing it as a collective. Because yeah. ultimately, the issues that we're working on, they're bigger than the individual. They're about causes they're about health they're about the environment and it's just about getting yourself out of the way and just trying to do great creative work as a team and yeah i mean that is i mean there's i always think of this kind of concentric circles with in the middle if we make decisions based on us as the individual in the middle we're basically fucked but right. the wider we go out and the more we can think about our family or our community or humanity or even the universe, mm. make those decisions even on a small level, as wide as we can, it could just be us and our friend rather than just us, mm. then the wider we can stretch out that decision making, the more wonderful or enjoyable, at least, bearable, the world yeah, will be to yeah. live. But if we're very narrow and we're very individualistic, that that will have a you know limited effect on us. But um, Honestly, completely agree. Like, yeah. it's, and yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, you yeah it's it it can be hard sometimes because it is hard. we we all we all think about ourselves a lot of the time and can be selfish but i guess it's it's those little mini choice points isn't yeah. it yeah and it sounds like that kind of collective culture is is really yeah. important we do we try we try and do we really try and push that side of it and it's a big way to keep and attract good talent and you know but it, it's also you've you've also got to be very realistic you're running a business you've got to make money it's about giving a lot but it's also about making sure that people treat that with respect and give a lot back to as well so mm. you can't have one with the other otherwise you know and that can sometimes be a challenge sometimes you know you create a very friendly open culture and sometimes when you do need to make a really tough decision that's not going to be popular that can sometimes be hard to go between to reconcile the, them exactly yeah, yeah no that's, that's yeah. that can be really tough so um and sometimes can might appear out of character if you suddenly have to be very hard nosed because of the difficult decision it, you know that, that's a real challenge getting that balance right um yeah uh, yeah and, and I guess finally we're kind of I mean, this is very interesting I think I could talk to you all day um, but I will let you get back to your work but um, but how does Tom look after himself in running this company and looking after these people in these collective ways and making tough decisions sometimes um, 
Yeah, I don't. Being completely honest, I don't think I've got the balance quite right yet. I think I think it's definitely a work in progress. Um, I think I think as like a business owner, I've been kind of coming to terms with this. But I think over the years, I think I've developed coping mechanisms to distance myself from the anxiety of running a company and and the pressure that having to bring in a hundred thousand pounds of work every single month to pay for you know 25 people's livelihoods i think that does a huge amount of emotional stress on me and stress can be a massive inhibitor in terms of making good decisions and also being creative as well which is the dual kind of challenge as a running an agency so um, i think over the years i've definitely kind of erected kind of walls in my mind to try and distance it and almost you become numb to that pressure and anxiety and I think that that does have a toll on you personally because you know of, often you can become a bit distanced and especially when you get home and you know mm. you want to talk about your you, you can always want to shut it off because your home is your real life and your work and you know mm. and I've, you know you create all these walls to try and help you cope with it so I think that that, that definitely has taken a toll but I, I think the ways, the ways in which I think I've kind of come, you know, helped get around that is one, I think giving responsibility, proper responsibility to people you trust around you, that really helps. So inviting people in and, and saying, I need you to be the person that takes responsibility for this aspect of work is in, incredibly liberating. Because mm. once you give responsibility to people around you and you truly trust them, not like look over their shoulder, that's massively liberating and that's definitely helped helped me in terms of my mental I would say my, my well-being overall so um, allowing autonomy for your own headspace yeah right? exactly and, and saying I can't simultaneously consider all of these variables someone else needs to do it for me and needs to totally take ownership of it and I think that's that really helps um, on the day-to-day and then I, I think a lot of the um, a lot of the, I would say basics, maybe they're not basic, but exercise really helps me. Um, not not like in a crazy way, but it is in like, I play tennis as a good way to get my mind off things and trying to make room for that, not just on the weekend, but sometimes midweek as well. That can be a really good break point midweek when often you're just totally focused on work. Um, trying to remove the phone from the home environment as much as mm. possible. Um, so definitely not sleeping next to it I always put it in another room um, but also really making a concerted effort not to check emails at work, um, in the evening and on holiday especially that really helps and just being clear to the team that look if anything bad happens call me or text me but I'm not going to you know, systematically check emails. Yeah. That really helps. And I guess modelling for others in that in that way. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like, God, you're on holiday, like you know, be on holiday. Don't be worrying. So, um, yeah, occasionally you do have to step in on holiday, and, and that's just part and parcel of being a director. But um, but that really helps. And then like with so I've with um, with mind with mindfulness, I, I kind of in a way felt so my own obviously like doing exercise can be a form of it, but. Like weirdly, about three years ago, I I got into like building Lego again. So it was like a really weird thing. Like my dad decided to buy me some for Christmas because he didn't know what to get for me because he remembered as a kid we used to do it. And I just I just really lost myself in building Lego. Again. Kind of play. So yeah, yeah kind of yeah. play. It's like a, like this kind of like soft fascination where my mind's occupied, but it allows the rest of my mind to really wander. And I'm very present when I'm doing it. I'm just building something. It's very like methodical. Yeah. And for me, that's like 
I think I've really enjoyed that aspect of it because, you know, I have, I've dabbled in doing, I, I, you know, mindfulness, just like quiet thought and reflection. And, you know, I, I haven't always got on with it. So I found that as, doing something like Lego for me has been really, really kind of releasing. And also I, I used to paint a lot when I was younger and I sometimes will do stuff like that where it gives me something to focus on, but I can totally clear the rest of my mind as and I'm not worrying about other stuff at that point I'm mm. kind of doing it. so so yeah that, there are a few different aspects like that which which have really um helped um obviously talking is a good one <laughs> um, which we don't <laughs> express do yourself yeah. Is, is that, yeah and I we've I sometimes um try and get little like lunches or dinners with other agency owners who are going through very similar things because I think yeah. one of the challenges as an employer it's very hard to talk openly to your employees about your you know about your true anxieties about yeah. you know so sometimes meeting up with a peer and just being yeah. very honest about your worries that can be really helpful as well um yeah it's kind of peer support is is really essential isn't it yeah. to kind of share the same sort of yeah and you you just realize that everyone has the same problems like yeah. it really is but there's <laughs> something about normalizing that, yeah. that almost can lift something right away yeah exactly yeah. um and, and the other thing I guess is probably just taking time to, to, to celebrate and reflect on progress because I think we, we live in such a fast culture where we just want immediate rewards and if the thing that we did that week wasn't successful then we think the whole three, last three years have been a failure but often when you do take time to think what were we doing six months ago and how where are we today you, you realise how quick progress is made yeah. and, and how do you do that practically do you, do you sit um, down and you make time or you no it, it, just... it, it's quite it's quite a casual thing but you know often when we'll have our senior management team meetings and you know we'll reflect on the last year we'll just look back and just be like what were we doing then and you just think well, actually all of the things that we've done this year are really really kind of great and, and actually one random just thinking about it we, we do at the end of uh, each year we try and produce a little personal impact report so like, like a lot of companies we use um, stream time it's kind of like a time tracking project management software so we can bill the right time to clients but also from that data we can work out what people have been working on what projects and therefore what causes so at the end of each year I try to do like a little kind of analysis to say that you know this year you spent 25% of your time trying to you know tackle climate change 10% sustainable fisheries whatever it is and actually that's a nice moment at the end of the year to look back and just think you know actually yeah I've been doing a nine to five and that can be tough even at an interesting agency but ultimately my time the most important thing in my life I've dedicated to some really good causes and here's a spread of the work you've done so yeah. that, that can be sometimes a nice moment at the end of the year to really look back and and, and look at the fruits of our yeah. labour in some respects and I guess because so. you are a cause-based industry then the impact is probably the most important thing it sounds like so oh, 100% like yeah. there's nothing that makes people happier than thinking we were involved in influencing that policy change or yeah. you know changing public opinion on this or you know putting some positive news out there some negative news so I think people get a real kick from that you've been listening to another episode of the Conscious Leaders podcast I'm Ruth Ferenga founder of Mindful Pathway a consultancy for leaders devoted to facilitating progressive leadership in a constantly changing world you can find us and other episodes from this podcast at mindfulpathway.co.uk